0: Hope you enjoyed that uh, new trailer um, for our series. Halfway through, our our intern put together a new trailer so that we could um, kind of get re-excited about the, the last or the next couple of weeks. We're going to be digging the life of Samson. So welcome back to um, messy people, merciful God. Our look through the book of Judges. Sometimes, sometimes we don't want rules. And Sometimes we do, right? So um, maybe it's uh, can't use a cell phone while you're driving. And, and maybe, maybe there are times where or you didn't want that rule because you wanna be just able to make that call or answer that quick text or how, how annoying that you'd have to wait to get out of your car to make that rule, but then maybe there's other times now you're very thankful for that rule when you see how unsafe it can be um, to be driving in that distracted way. Or maybe it's that stop sign in your street corner that oh you you wish that wasn't put up there because you know you're always just a hurry to get in and out and it's just kind of this annoyance that slows you down or maybe the other perspective is that you're you're very thankful that it provides protection and safety for your family who lives on that street or maybe it's um wearing helmets while biking you know, maybe you sit on one side, maybe maybe uh, that's annoying kind of to have that rule because you want to just uh, be able to bike in freedom, or maybe you appreciate that rule and the fact that it just makes a rule that forces your children or people you care about to be protected. So sometimes um, sometimes we want rules, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we, um, we often don't want rules when we feel that it maybe is taking away our freedom or somehow impinging on freedoms that we feel are ours. And there's other times that we want rules when we feel that it will protect us or protect people we care about. And other times we want rules because um, we have a certain way that we like to live. We have certain things that we like doing and we just wish that everyone else would have to live that way and and do those things too. And if there would just be rules to just say they have to do it, then they have to do it. And we want rules sometimes when we just want to know how to live our life, maybe how to live our Christian life. Well, what do I do in this situation? I wish there was a rule. What do I do in that situation? If God would have just given us rules about that, especially when it comes to hard decisions like end of life kind of decisions, right? God, do I, do I pull the plug or not? Do, do we put this person, this loved one of mine on life support or not, or do we take them off or not? I wish I could open up and find a chapter and verse to find a rule on just what would be the right thing to do here. And so sometimes we want God to give us rules. And sometimes we would much rather live by our own rules and we don't want to have anything to do with God's rules, um, as is the case in the book of Judges. You've heard us quote this verse already. The the book of Judges kind of ends on this verse. It does end on this verse. This is the theme of the book of Judges. And it says, in those days, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And here's the verse that our text today begins with. Judges chapter 13, verse 1 says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So, do, do, you, see the, do you see the contrast there? The people thought that they were doing right in their own eyes. But they were not doing right in the Lord's eyes. They thought they were doing right in their eyes, but they weren't doing right in the Lord's eyes. And so the things that the Israelites were doing um, were not evil in their eyes. They, as far as they were concerned, their behavior, the way they were living was perfectly acceptable. All right, they weren't weren't thinking, oh, I know this is evil, but I'm going to do it anyway. No, they were thinking, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. We can do what we want to do. What what we're doing is right. In their eyes, it was right. However, in God's eyes, it was evil. We have gotten pretty good at rationalizing our sinful behavior, haven't we? Right? Um, If it seems right to me to do it, then it must be right if it seems right to the community of people who I live in, it must be the right thing to do. If it shows tolerance to, to all people and, and every lifestyle under the sun, then it must be the right thing to do. If it is politically correct and does not challenge anybody's worldview, then it's got to be the right thing to do. If everyone's doing it, then it's got to be the right thing to do. If it doesn't hurt anyone, then it has to be the right thing to do. But what's more important, doing what is right in our own eyes or doing what is right in the Lord's eyes? Sin, sin is not just violating our own personal standards. Sin is not just violating the, the standards of the community that we live in. Sin is violating God's will for our life now that contradicts the thinking of the world doesn't it that contradicts the motto of the world hey um, even though it's right for you what's right for you might not be right for me so you can have what's right for you but I have what's right for me Um, you You alone, only you can determine what is right and wrong for you. That's thinking of the world. Or um, my own eyes, in other words, the way I feel, the way I think, the way I perceive situation and life around me, that is how to determine right and wrong. My own eyes is the way to determine what is right and what is wrong. Um, But friends, that thinking just does not work. If, if our own eyes determine right and wrong, if, if right and wrong were determined by our own eyes, then how could we tell the Nazis that it was wrong to exterminate the Jews? Because they thought they were doing humanity a favor. And they actually thought that they were providing justice for past wrongs, what they considered to be wrongs how could we tell terrorists that it's wrong to blow people up? They are doing what is right in their own eyes. So if our own eyes are incapable of determining what truly is right and wrong, then whose eyes are? Um, The eyes of the experts? (laughs) The the eyes of the majority? Sorry, those things also lead to Holocaust, genocide, terrorism, terrorism. The Bible has the only right answer in this one. What God sees as sin is sin. Simply put. What God sees as sin is sin. What is sin in God's eyes is sin. Regardless of what we think, regardless of what the culture around us thinks, regardless of the way it looks in our eyes, what God sees as sin is sin. But we... We love to define what is right and wrong for us rather than letting God do it, don't we? I mean, if it doesn't hurt anyone, if no one is getting hurt by it, how could it possibly be wrong? Right? How how could it be wrong for me to do? Or um, things like materialism, worry, um, pride, bitterness, those don't look bad in our eyes most of the time. they are evil in the only eyes in the universe that truly matter. So, we need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Word to see what is right and what is wrong in God's eyes. And, And to look at the standard that He sets for us. We need to be in the Word to see that, to have that revealed to us. And then we need to have others around us who are also in the Word, who can see what the word says and see the way we're living and when we can't see what is in God's eyes but we're only seeing what is in our own eyes we need people to kind of you know tap us on the shoulder and say hey um you're way over here and God would like you to be over here because we can't always see it sometimes we just get into a life of doing what seems right in our own eyes but we need good friends good Christian friends around us to point out to us when We're actually not doing right in God's eyes. So we need to be in the word to know what God is saying, and we need people around us because here's our first point of the day. We would rather live by our own rules instead of God's. We would rather live by our own rules instead of God's. And here is our case in point. Verse one from our text Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. They're in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. This is the longest oppression ever. And I I want you to understand this is ominous here. The Philistines, this is a whole new thing. Philistines, seafaring people. Iron chariots, iron weapons, much more sophisticated than any enemy Israel has ever faced. I mean, this is, the Philistines is where Goliath is from, and Goliath wasn't the only dude. Goliath had relatives who were big like him, who had more than five fingers on each hand, and all that kind of stuff. This was the Philistines. Um... They had never faced an enemy like this. I guess I liken it to, you know, if, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, there's a time halfway through that whole saga and trilogy where one of the evil sorcerers creates an army of orcs that, can't just, that don't just fight only during the night anymore, is which they used to be limited to, but now they can fight during the day. And that was a whole different army, and that was a whole different enemy. The Philistines are a whole different thing. And we're going to see them contending against the Israelites through Samson, through Samuel, through Saul, and through David. So these were evil days. These were dark days. This, when they had once again turned away from God and rebelled against him, now they're going to have to deal with the Philistines. So now it is time for Samson, the last of the judges, Was God saving the best for last? It seems like the Lord wanted it to be that way. (laughs) Because like Isaac, like John the Baptist, and like Jesus, Samson's birth is going to be announced by an angel. He's the only judge that was chosen before he was even conceived. And so here is his story beginning. Um, I don't put the verses up there, but they are in your bulletin, verses 2 to 8 from our text today. A certain man of Zora named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. And then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. So Samson's unnamed mother couldn't have kids. She was barren is the biblical word usually, childless, sterile. She joins a few other kind of well-known women in the Bible. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Hannah, and Elizabeth, wife of Zechariah, were also barren, but were also visited by the Lord and then conceived and gave birth to children who would end up becoming very important angels of God. Isaac, Samuel, John the Baptist. So Samson's in some pretty significant company here samson would be a nazirite from birth now um, a nazirite uh, the nazirite vow is in numbers chapter six it explains what you had to do to be a nazirite normally it was just kind of a temporary thing you did as an adult you could take a nazirite vow for a while the apostle paul did for a while um, A nazirite vow uh is this basically no wine or nothing even connected to the grapevine nothing fermented no haircuts, and not going near a dead body. And the purpose of this was to set you apart for service to God. So you'd be, you'd be very visibly set apart. So not being able to go near a dead body put you in the strict level of the priests. So you were like as strict as one of the Levites or the priests who couldn't go near a dead body. But drinking no wine... Now wine, wine was a staple for Israel. Adults and children alike, this is, how they, this is how you kept water pure. So everyone drank wine, so to refrain from drinking wine would truly have set you apart, even from the priests. And then the uncut hair from birth would definitely have marked you as someone who was in training, someone who was set apart for a very special task, a very special mission. And Samson's mother even took the vow. See, Samson would be a Nazarite not only from birth but from conception. So even his mother had to follow the rules so that he didn't even get anything in utero. So he, this was Nazarite vow from conception and why the purpose is given so that he could begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Now when Abraham's wife Sarah heard that she would have a child she laughed when zechariah when old zechariah heard that he and elizabeth were gonna have a child he doubted but when samson's mother heard that she would have a child she completely trusted the power of god to do the impossible and she accepted the Nazarite vow she accepted what she would have to go through to have a son who would be used for God's service. Kind of like Mary, when you think of how Mary accepted the disgrace that she would have to go through to have a son used for God's service. That is faith. We, we see faith in this mother of Samson. And we, we see faith in Manoah, Samson's father, as well. He believed, all right? He, he begged even, he begged God to send that messenger back to to. Teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. So let's read what happens then. Verse 9, following. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or any fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we uh, prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. So Manoah wanted to know more. More but the angel just repeated what he had just already told his wife. Friends, do you find that that's true too? That that, that God doesn't always tell us all that we would like to know? Do <laughs> you have some questions that you would like, well, what, what about this, God? Or, well, you know, what should I do here? And, and maybe you want an answer, You want and, and you wish that there was just more in those verses. You ever gotten that where... Um, we wish that God would tell us a little bit more? The the lesson we want to learn here is is this. We need to trust what God has revealed to us. We need to trust that what God has revealed to us is is exactly what He wants us to know and is exactly what we need to know. So, what does Manoah do? Manoah tries offering food to try to obligate the angel to tell him more. And then... um, and then Manoah asks, "What his name is?" See, in, in ancient peoples, would they believed that you could manipulate a person or a spiritual being if you knew their name? Makes sense, right? Because once you know names, it that, that, that constitutes a relationship between people, and that has obligations. And so, what Manoah is trying to do here is to manipulate the angel into giving him more rules. But so the question is then. Why did the angel of the Lord ever come back? Why did he return if he wasn't going to give Manoah more rules? That's why Manoah begged him to come back. Manoah didn't get the help that he prayed for. He did get the help he needed. Manoah wanted more rules and regulations for the boy's life and work. But instead... God gives Manoah a revelation of who he is. Do you see that in the text? Manoah wanted, okay, we're going to have a son. He's special. Wow, miracle. Awesome, God. Give me the rule. I want step-by-step rules of how to bring this boy up. Show me how to do it just so I can walk through life following this recipe. I want the rules. How is it done? But God, God knew that's not what he needed. God knew what Manoah needed. God knew that Manoah needed to see him him to understand who God is and so God gives him a revelation of himself after all who is the angel of the Lord the one whose name was beyond understanding too wonderful for human beings even to grasp the one who ascended up into heaven like Jesus did the one to whom both Manoah and his wife bow down to as soon as they realize who he was. The one about whom Manoah said, we are doomed because we have seen God. This figure who appears, the angel of the Lord, who appears often in the Old Testament, is the angel of the Lord, And also is the Lord. But how can God be both in heaven, having sent this visible figure, and also at the same time be the visible figure? And then, if so, why doesn't he just call himself the Lord instead of calling himself the angel of the Lord? The word angel means messenger. So, what we see here, what we learn about the angel of the Lord is that he is sent from the Lord as the messenger of the Lord, but he also is the Lord. So you have one here who is, who is the Lord and is also sent from the Lord. Um, our message is also our word, right? So the word of the Lord, someone who is the word of the Lord and is the Lord. The word of God and is God, sent from God and is God. Is it starting to sound like someone we know? The angel of the Lord is the second person of the Trinity. The angel of the Lord is the son of God. And God reveals himself to Manoah here. And the angel of the Lord has always been concerned with bringing peace and salvation to his people. And by the way, when the angel of the Lord told Manoah that he wouldn't be able to understand his name, even if he would have heard it, I think we're seeing God's sense of humor come out a little bit here because the angel of the Lord had already told Manoah his name, and he missed it. In verse 11, when Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, are you the one who talked to my wife? The angel of the Lord says, I am. And that is the name of the Lord. I am I am who I am you might know it as Yahweh or Jehovah that is the name of the Lord this was the Lord and so as soon as Manoah realized that this was God he thought they were gonna die all right he knew that no one can see God's face and live but his wife showed faith in God's grace Hey, if if the Lord was going to kill us, we would already be dead. But he has covered our sins because we're alive. So that means he has covered our sins. He's showing us grace. He he came here to show us, to talk to us about these great things that he's going to do through us, through our child. Through our child, Manoah. God didn't come to destroy us, sinful though we are. God didn't come to destroy us, though we deserve it. God came to show us his goodness. Our God is a God of grace. And so when they asked God how to bring up their child he was going to bless them with um, so that he could live according to God's will, God says, you need to see me and my character way more than you need information. Because all the rules in the world wouldn't give you the direction you needed in the countless decisions you're going to have to make as you raise your son. Only a deep understanding of who I am will give you the guidance that you need. Friends, here's our second point for today. We think we need rules, but we need to know God. We think we need rules, but we need to know God because then we will know what is right in his eyes. All right, if, if we come to know God, if we have a revelation of God, if we get to know God through his word, then our eyes will start seeing things the same way that his eyes see things. Then we will know what is right in his eyes and, rather than learning and memorizing a bunch of facts and figures and rules. God doesn't give us a rule book for every uh, situation and circumstance and decision that we have to make in life. He gives us something much better. He gives us himself. Who is with us? I am. I am is with us. Think about it. Um, A parent gives their child fewer and fewer rules and regulations as the child gets older, right? When your child is little, you have to run after the child everywhere, following it all over the place going, don't do this, don't touch that, don't go there, right? Because how in the world is the child gonna know that they're not supposed to pick up dog poo? How are they gonna know that they, uh, they aren't supposed to stuff food in the DVD player? How is your child gonna know that they're not supposed to stuff um, books in the toilet? They don't know these things. You have to tell them. And they need to be conformed to your commands. Okay? You have to give them all these rules. They they have to learn those things, maybe the slow way, maybe the hard way. But as they get older, as they get older, you start expecting them to begin to incorporate your wisdom into their own heart, into their own mind, their own heart, rather than you giving them a little detailed rule for every little thing in their life. I mean, if you have to tell your teenager not to put books in the toilet, something's not working right in the way that they're growing up. If you want your child to mature, if you want them to mature, you you start moving away from all those external rules and more toward internal motives and principles for wisdom. God has done the very same thing with us. New Testament Christians have received far fewer rules and regulations than Old Testament believers did. In the Old Testament, much of what you could do or say or wear or eat or drink was commanded for you. And then if you had a question that you wanted answered with a yes or no response, you could go to the priest and he would have his ephod on with all little stones in it and have the urim and thummim in it. And you could ask him the question. He could give you a direct answer from God. So there was this high level of guidance and certainty. And maybe sometimes today we wish that we had that same level of guidance in our lives. And maybe sometimes today um, we would like to have more rules and regulations guiding our life. But that would be to mistake external rules for a mature relationship. Because Christians are, are not to be conformed by commands. But rather as it says in Romans 12, now we are to be We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we don't get a lot of rules. We don't get a lot of rules about exactly what to do in every single situation, circumstance, and decision. We do, however, through the word, through the Holy Spirit working through the word, get God. Today as New Testament Christians, as mature followers of him, we don't get a lot of rules, but we do get God. We get revelation instead of rules. We get to enjoy knowing the mind of Christ, getting to to knowing Jesus and becoming more like him and thinking like him so that what he sees is the same way uh, that we see things. Knowing Jesus, becoming like him and letting our minds be transformed by his mind, by his heart. So now we can look at the rescue on the cross and the victorious resurrection and we get to see the, the real character of God far more clear than even the greatest heroes of the Old Testament could ever have seen. So we don't need to know God through rules because we get to know God through his spirit. So let's get to know God through his word, through the Holy Spirit, working through his word, and then let's live accordingly. Let's live according to that. Last two verses of our text. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zora and Eshtaol. Samson may have been named after a pagan god of the sun. Sun child, sun son, Samson. So from the very beginning, he's going to be very, very flawed. Like we are. Nevertheless, God is at work for and through flawed people. Samson was miraculously conceived. He was chosen by God. He he was set apart for life of service to God. He was blessed by God, shaped by God's spirit. And then the Lord began to stir in him a supernatural strength. Okay, think Superman, not Schwarzenegger. This is a gift from God beyond just what you do, you know, like how much you eat or get in the weight room. This is a gift from God that God began to stir in him for a very special purpose. Samson had every spiritual advantage. He's the last judge in this book and the last great hope for Israel. And so, boy, we're waiting to see what's gonna happen and we want to see Samson rescue God's people and rule them in obedience to God we're going to be sorely disappointed at almost every step of the way. Samson's flaws remind us that, they're going to remind us that God's people need another greater deliverer. And so does Samson's birth that we see here. See, because there was another woman, there would be another woman who should not have been able to conceive when a heavenly messenger was sent to her and announced to her that she would conceive and that she would have a son and that her son would be a deliverer who would save his people. Her name was Mary and his would be Jesus. And this child that she would bear would be the same angel of the Lord who had been sent to Samson's mother, now taking on human flesh as a baby, sent to save the world. Unlike Samson, whose birth brought an end to his mother's disgrace, the birth of Jesus brought disgrace to his mother. He was born in scandal and suspicion. Unlike Samson, who who gained honor and glory... By his work, Jesus lost all of his honor and glory in his work. Unlike Samson, he had perfect moral character. And unlike Samson, he delivered his people completely. Samson only began to. Friends, Jesus' salvation is a complete salvation. Only he, only he finished the job. And so the angel said to his parents, He will save his people from their sins. And that, that is the only revelation we need. We have a deliverer, my friends who has saved us from our sins. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.